G'day and welcome to another episode of Thriving in Chaos with me, Paz. On today's episode, I've got the pleasure of sitting down with Luke Everson. Luke is a semi-professional rugby union player and a current serving member of the Australian Army. Luke is also the Australian Defence Force Rugby Union captain, as well as the captain for the Australian Army Rugby team. I've had the pleasure of serving alongside Luke uh, within the Australian Army, as well as being able to play a lot of footy with him as well. So I was really excited that we got to sit down and have this chat. We'll talk about everything rugby, life and everything in between. I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank you guys for listening to my podcast and please continue to contribute to the show. You can do that via Instagram. Send me a DM at Paz underscore official page. Tell me what you like, what you don't like, or if you'd like to be a guest on this show and talk about something cool with me, I'd love to do that with you. Anyway, that's enough from me for now. So sit back, plug in and enjoy. Hey. <laughs> That's so good, dude. Fuck yeah. Lukey, how are you, mate? I'm very well, mate. How are you? I'm very, very good. So today we've got uh, Luke Everson, one of my good friends and friend of the podcast. Um, <laughs> and we're going to talk just a little bit, man, just life, fucking rugby. You are a uh, an avid fucking rugby player. He's been around the paddock a couple of times. Tell us a little bit about you, Lukey. Tell the people about you. Well, uh, yeah. As Paz said, a bit of a footy player, a bit of a, a nut about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, obviously being born to a, you know, Kiwi family, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of in your blood from yeah. when you're, when you first come out the womb. Mm. Um, but no, yeah, moved here when I was four years old. Um, and yeah, just... Just lived around Brisbane pretty much my whole entire life. Just kicking goals ever since, huh? Ah, trying to. (laughs) Yeah. So moving from NZ when you were four, what was uh, what made you make the move? Obviously, you were little then, but what made the move? Yeah. So obviously, I didn't have much say in it. Yeah. Um, True. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, no, I think I think it's just uh, job opportunities for you know my parents, and then school opportunities for my brother and I. Um, So with with school opportunities and obviously being from like NZ and anybody that's listening who does follow rugby, New Zealand has always been head and shoulders way above everybody for for rugby especially. For a school choice for you guys, was that kind of your parents' kind of thought pattern? Gets you into a, a good school here to be able to put you into Aussie rugby or what was that kind of kind of thing? More the more the education side of things because yeah. like I think well apparently according to them like the education system wasn't great over there or you know whatever their reasoning is so um, yeah they wanted to you know get us into a, a decent school like go in a college first mm-hmm. um, and then yeah get a good like Catholic Christian upbringing type yeah. deal mm-hmm. and then um, 
And then, yeah, my, my rugby abilities got me into a better school, yep. like Brisbane State High. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I got to play first. So, shout out then. to all the Brizzy State High people that are listening, huh? That's it. All man. the yeah. boys. Yeah. Fuck yeah. All the Usos. <laughs> all the Usos. All the Islander boys, which is why they dominate so much in fucking rugby. Yeah. But, so, moved over here, obviously grew up in Brisbane. Did you stay in Brizzy or what did you, did you float around Sunny Coast, Gold Coast? Where would you go in Oz? No, it's pretty much um, like the Redland Bay area. Yep. So we uh, lived around Thornside for like most of it, which is um, like 40 minutes from the city. And then I had to commute by train um, into school, mm-hmm. both Iona College and Business State High School. Yeah, sick. So play, we've played together in um, Army Rugby, uh, both of us band members of the ADF. What do you think, because you've been a part of a couple of uh, teams, so Brizzy, State High, First 15s, obviously, what, uh, what age group is that? Where did you go? What did you do? So that's um, it's part of the GPS rugby competition mm-hmm. against those, you know, Nudgee, Churchy, all those you know, high-level schools. Yep. Um, so that's, you know, 16, 17, like, oh, if you're good enough, 15 to 17 years old, um, yeah, you play about eight games, mm-hmm. you know, in the season. And then from there, you get picked for, you know, one of the, you know, GPS 1, GPS 2 school teams. Yep. And then, uh, like, a chairman team, which is, like, a mixture of all GPS, AIC, and uh, CSS schools, I think they're yep. called. So. And so that, those are the, for anybody that doesn't know, like, the GPS system, as, as along with, a you know, an array of different schools and whatnot that are involved within that that's for the premier grade for the super rugby correct like that's your pathway into super rugby is that right yeah yeah, yeah. so when you how do you how do you kick start that as like a as a young person to get you into that do you just play a fuckload of footy or is there specific ways that you have to kind of um go about getting into those teams so yeah yeah i guess playing a, a fuckload of footy mm-hmm We'll get you, you know, yep. get you started, but uh, it's getting recognised for um, for rep teams. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, you obviously you play for your club footy teams um, in under 13, 14, 15s. and um, and then you got like your, your south side, north side, west side, sunny coast, gold coast, um, even northern territory and, and um, downlands. Yep. And so there's scouts out there selecting for those teams and um. I was fortunate enough to play for South's region, mm-hmm. and um, you know we we had a pretty good team there, like we usually win the competition. Mm-hmm. And then under uh, under fifteens, um, there's the opportunity to make you know your Met East, Met West. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's through the the school school competition. Yeah. Um, and then from there, um, I got selected into the the junior gold squad. So that's where you know. They just select, you know, the best players from the the Queensland comps, the New South Wales comps, Victoria comps, mm-hmm. all around Australia, um, and then you 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 do like little training days like throughout the week, and then you also come together as like you know a nation kind of thing, and just like the top players, you do a, a camp, you you play a couple of games, and and then I guess schools also come out and they you know they they poach players and yeah. Try and get your, you know, scholarships. And so you said that you touched on that you played for Souths. Um, you also then played for Easts, and I've known you when you played at Sunnybank as well. Yeah. Um, so the the movement from those teams, that's, I mean, obviously I knew when 
Sunnybank when you were obviously older than under 15s or anything like that. Mm. What's the what makes a player want to change clubs, especially like you know, especially in a competition like the like Prem grade? What are you looking for? Are you looking for that premiership win, or are you looking for the the coaches, players, or does all of it come into it? Um, it's more so opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like it's really hard, obviously making those you know those big teams like Wests, um, Uni, and uh, East and stuff. So it's really just getting exposure and getting into that mm-hmm. you know into that premier grade side. So Sunnybank, unfortunately, the last couple of years haven't been that great. But um, you know, fortunately, I knew the two coaches there, and then um, they wanted you know myself and then a couple of other army lads. So, you know, they, they set up a, you know, a nice little deal for us where they'd pay most of our rego and mm-hmm. they'd give us um, a bit of fuel money to, you know, come down. So that was quite nice. And every every footy player wants that rego paid for because, one, it's not <laughs> that expensive, but it is plus free kit. Everybody loves fucking free kit. Yeah. Free That's kit exactly is the right. best. If that was one reason to float around between clubs, I think that'd be why. <laughs> a little bit of kit from everybody. Yeah. So I guess the the next biggest step then is to obviously go from playing club rugby, prem rugby, super rugby and onwards. Mm. Did you ever make super rugby? Were you ever like in a hopeful? Did you make a team that was almost there or did you make it all the way or what happened then with your footy? No, so unfortunately didn't, you know, make it all that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got the opportunity to be a part of the under-20s um, red squad. Mm-hmm. But um, but I was, uh, you know, I only got to go to a couple of trainings because um, I got dropped <laughs> mm-hmm. after, um, yeah, a couple of trainings because I, I had broken ribs at the time. I tried to, yeah. you know, push myself and, you know, try to do all the training, but they obviously saw that I was injured. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So to come back then, I guess, full circle, for the Rugby World Cup that's happening on at the moment, the lack of results that, for, especially for me, like as, a, as an Aussie and a Wallaby supporter, it comes down to that grassroots, those systems that you were just talking about, um, all of those different pathways that you have to, to go through to get all the way through to the top. New Zealand do it very, very well, clearly, based mm. off their results and clearly by the like other nations within the World Cup at the moment that you're seeing a lot of their rugby, their pathways clearly are working as well. What What is the difference then between Australian rugby, New Zealand rugby, and you being a Kiwi? You obviously keep a close eye on the All Blacks. Yeah. So what do you think is the difference between Aussie rugby and New Zealand rugby? Where are we failing? And especially as a for you coming through that system, where do you think that it failed you as a up-and-coming player? Uh, oh, it's, tough, it's tough to say. Um, well, I think you, you, you stepped on it just a little bit where they just pick raw talent instead of like that hard-working bloke. Yeah. Um, so I know <clears throat> plenty of guys that... You know, if given the opportunity, they would have made it because mm. they're, they're such hard workers and they would have been so amazing at yep. that next level. Where, as these guys with just that raw talent and that, you know, in that way, um, I guess they make it to that to that next stage and then they just 
they get you know happy with it mm. and they don't really try level up their game kind just of thing. like complacency within being yeah. an athlete which I find just so staggering like mm. like if I was to because I tried to make it as a rugby player as well um, yeah. and it was always a dream I think every every young sporting male that I grew up with that was sporting and loved it they wanted to make it as an athlete in whatever sport it was whether it was soccer rugby whatever yeah for sure and then when dudes make it to the top and they just go meh whatever yeah I've always found that just it baffling blows my mind and you see it all the time especially within like the NRL obviously in the super rugby as well Mm. Um, but where dudes just stop trying don't care and they get a massive paycheck yeah as well yeah their head just gets huge and they just think they're the man so to then if you were to then look at if you were to talk to like ARU like and say this is where you need to fix it at grassroots level, what would that be? What other than the hard workers, mm. what what's the system that needs to get better? I think they just need to stop, I guess, you know, comparing themselves or competing with the NRL. Mm-hmm. So like they're always trying to poach NRL players or whatever, and that's they think that that's what's gonna yeah. make them better. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing that, they should just concentrate on these young fellas and really. Get in the right coaches, get in, get them in the right facilities, and and really just progress. You know, what kind of players that they they are, and what kind of players that they want to mm. be, and really, I guess Australia's lost their identity <clears throat> in footy of being you know that hardworking, that tough, gritty kind of you know rugby union team. Yeah. And so I think they just they've just lost that by going, you know what, I'm just gonna look over at rugby league and try and take those fellas. Instead of going, you know, we've got, we've got a good bunch of young blokes coming through that, you know, that need that little kick up the ass, and, you know, mm. and they're just not really doing that. Do you think that that's got a lot to do with, um, like, funding that is put behind? But obviously it's, it's a business, and this is what mm. I always find so hard for, like, if I can figure this out, and I've never gone to university and, and studied business, yeah. but a business thrives off how much business it can create, which yeah. creates money, which creates more that it can put back into the business. And if they're not putting the result on the board, people aren't going to watch it. Yeah. And then people that don't watch it, that goes all the funding that comes with however that world works. Mm. And then that doesn't flow down to grassroots. But then, but how do they how do they fix that? Do you know you've been in that the system or? Mm. Oh, I'm not 100 sure on how to fix it, but I guess the amount of money that you know people are paying to play club footy in this country is fucking ridiculous. Yeah, it's like obviously you know premier like in the premier grade system, it's five hundred and like fifty bucks at least. Yeah, to play for your club that you yeah. want to play and for. And club club rugby like because I didn't make. Prem grade, I just played club and it was $350 a season. Like, that's yeah. a fuckload of money mm. for dudes that just want to play footy. Yeah, and you you wonder where that money bloody goes to mm. and, you know, what it is doing because, like, a lot of it does go to the club, but they, they obviously have, they have to pay a, a registration fee to be in the competition, which yeah. I only just found out mm-hmm. about. So, and apparently that's ridiculous, but still... Premier grade rugby is thriving because there's just so like at Easts there's you know six seven Premier grade men teams and then one women's team so yeah. like that's huge um, so it's not dying per se but um, 
but yeah where is that money going to and why does it have to be so much and I mm. guess instead of paying you know these these players these professional players so much money players like Michael Hooper or um, you know Joseph Suwili however you say his last yeah, name yeah. like place for the Roosters at the moment huh? yeah, yeah they're just throwing millions at them where and they're not giving you the results so mm. I guess they just need to you know, not throw so much at those players and I guess give a little bit more to you know club footy and grassroots footy to to give back yeah. to you know to those guys that are trying to you know do the right thing and work hard and mm. you know play for their country what what then do you think like what are, what's New Zealand doing so much more so much different than Australia well I guess being New Zealand and being so dominant since you know they first started playing I guess it just that just stems down yeah to your your little fellas playing grassroots mm. um, and then I guess that just brings business yeah and then that brings the money and you know and then they can you know divvy that out between their five super rugby teams and then they're and then they do have a a provincial you know rugby yeah competition which works which has worked very well for you know 30 years or however long they've been doing it for and, yep. and then they do have their premier grade and then their grades and then their and their school footy on TV yeah. um, and I think that's really cool that they do that yeah, and it gets players wanting to play footy because obviously you want to be on TV and you want your name being called out by commentators yeah. and when you score a try or kick a goal or whatever um, and it's it's just a it's just a cool thing where over here um yeah, that they, they are struggling <clears throat> against these Kiwi teams to perform, and and then when Australia do play each other in their, you know, derby matches, there's no feeling there. There's you know, there's no real rivalry or competition, which really sucks because you, you couldn't, you know, Waratahs Reds, you know, do the whole Queensland New South Wales thing, yeah. and yeah. it's not really there anymore when it used to be. Yeah. And then like first fifteen, it's like. You know, you play eight games and, you know, that's it. There's no finals. Um, you know, there's no, like, yahooing when you're bloody winning the grand final in that yeah. grand final game. And unlike in New Zealand, when they do play those grand finals, you know, footy. So, and they're not, you know, you don't get the exposure like they do. And it, you know, it sucks when, you, when you're playing that and then you see the Kiwis. Um, but, yeah. And you would think then, though, that, like, dudes... Because I know that there are some fellas who, like myself, and, like, yeah, have you played rugby league before? Or, like, further than just, like, at school or something like that. So, I'm like, I'm the same. I've never played rugby league. I love watching rugby league. Uh, and I love the sport, love, you know, the state of origins, everything like that that comes along with it. Um, but I have never wanted to play it. And, like, I'm getting to a point now in my age and body holding together that I probably wouldn't go and try my hand at it unless I was just going to play like third or fourth grade or something. Why then do you think that like dudes who are like young fellas or, and young girls that want to make it in rugby union and they can see that New Zealand is so much better, like what you see for, especially in the NRL, a lot of fellas from New Zealand and the surrounding islands and stuff come here to try and play in an Australian NRL team. 
does that just go to show that the Australian rugby is not at the standard that someone from New Zealand would want to come here to play in these teams? And then why is it that dudes aren't trying to go to New Zealand to try and make it in like a super rugby team? Or are they? And I just don't know. <laughs> um, I think I've heard of a few players, they do go over there and they, they give their, you know, give their hand at um, playing in the provincial rugby championships over in New Zealand. Um, like, it's, it's, not, it's not massive, but, you know, it does happen. Um, and, you know, they might not make it, but they do come back to Australia eventually and they do, you know, come back to Premier Grade Rugby. Yeah. So the fix, if you could, if you could like snap your fingers and fix everything within Australian rugby, what do you think is going to be the first fix? What, what's the first fix for you? First fix for me, I think just giving younger players more pathways to, you know, to rep teams or, you know, proper coaches and um, stuff like that. So obviously New Zealand have so many avenues to, to get to Super Rugby. Um, I think Australia need to put some money into, you know, having, you know, just to expand that part of, you know, their system having you know more teams more exposure um just even more training like i guess training competition oh, not competitions but like complexes and things yeah, where people are able yeah. to train at yeah so to then like i guess a caveat to that would be though i was listening to after australia lost to wales 40 to 6 i'll remind myself <laughs> of that uh, when I was listening to the commentators afterwards and they were obviously very upset after a quite embarrassing loss, really, to yeah. not that there's any... The Wales played fantastic. They outplayed Australia. Bloody and they've, yeah. all, they've always been a great rugby team as well. Mm. Um, clearly, Australia lacked something and you can you can put it down to passion for the game passion for the jersey people would say that's not what it is because mm. obviously you put that you know green and gold on and automatically the passion stirs yeah. but the results continuously you know people start to point fingers at anything coaches players mm. whatever one of the things that the one I can't remember who said it but one of the commentators um, said that within the problem with Australian rugby at the moment is that because the results are lacking that there's there may be too many super rugby teams that they are spreading the talent too thin so when you were saying before that there might be there's not enough teams that people can rep mm. you're not talking about super rugby you're talking about the grassroot level right yeah, yeah. yeah so I, I do like you know getting rid of one super rugby team in mm. Australia and then just making a second competition just one below it like they used to have with like Brisbane City Brisbane Country yep. New South Wales Country and then like putting money into that because mm -hmm. like it's a very good competition like it you know gives those players who are the hard workers you put everything into it that do make those teams you know it gives them another level to step up their game and, and push for that next level mm -hmm. um yeah, I think because they because they did Australia did do that for a little while and it was a funding thing mm. when they got rid of Western Force for a little while. Yeah, and then 
they Western Force have come back, and then you got Western Force, the Waratahs, the Brumbies, the Rebels, like the Reds. Mm. That's it. Yeah, five. Yeah. Like when you when you watch the the caliber of rugby that's being played, like as a Reds fan, like I love watching the Reds play, but when they play some of those other teams, like the it just doesn't look like it's that much of a hard competition. I've seen with all of the rugby that I've played and watched outside of Super Rugby, I've mm. seen teams that are far better than the ones that are running around on the paddock that are getting paid couple hundred thousand dollars a year yeah and i've played with some people you being one of them who are far better than some of those super rugby so if you were to cut a team where like what team would you start with and it doesn't have to like west is a long way force but some they have produced you know some good players what what team would you get rid of oh uh, i'm i'm probably not one to say which team to get rid of Mm. um Really, it probably has to come down to <clears throat> who's bringing in what revenue or who's who's putting in the yeah. results, kind of thing. I think that's because it is. It's know. a business, yeah, really. A you business, know, like yeah. if it's if it's not serving you, it's not making you money. Then yeah. like fuck it off, really. And mm-hmm. then, so what happens then to those players? You think because obviously they've played at the at the top. They've probably got contracts, things like that. Yeah. And, that extend probably far beyond the Rugby World Cup that's going on right now. Mm. But the ARU will 100% be like, well, we need to go into damage control mode and fix this, what's going on. Yeah. So what do you think would happen then to those players? Would they get poached by other teams? Some of them obviously would. Yeah. Um, And others... Because that would be a hard transition to be like, well, you just have to go back and play club rugby. Mm. And that's where I guess you what you were saying before with create that other competition just below. Mm. Um, Why do you think that it takes then for like the performance of the the World Cup is one performance? If you look at like the Bledisloe and the, um, what's it called again, the rugby championship, again, that was some very ordinary from Australia performance. So it's not just the World Cup. It's it's Mm. gone well beyond that. And when I was listening to the post-game interviews and commentating, they're just saying this this problem goes back 20 years. Why does it take 20 years to fix a problem? (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's just the people who are in that higher spot, Mm. you know, in the ARU, they just... I think they just want to, you know, keep their job or, you know, Mm. not really, you know, branch out, not... They don't want to make a mistake where they where they are where they have made a mistake for the past twenty years of not doing anything. Mm. That is their biggest mistake so far, mm. um, and I think they're they're probably scared to do something, you know, in case you know they might lose their job or you know, I don't know, lose funding or mm. whatever it is. Um, but you know, Australia still still have it in them. Like their last test match against the All Blacks, you know. They were leading half time, they were leading most of the game and unfortunately um, All Blacks do what All Blacks do and they win the game in the dying, you know, stages. Of course they do, you bastards. <laughs> um, yeah. like like the Wallabies they still have it in them to be a great team. It's just I guess they lack they lack a lot of confidence. They mm. got the they got the right skill level, they got speed, they got you know, they got size. Um, it's just it's just getting their fucking their confidence up yeah. and getting them wins behind them I guess and yeah. and I guess it kind of comes back to that passion like if you're putting that 
green and gold jersey on, like it inflates your testosterone level to the fucking next level. Yeah. And sometimes like it's it's hard in footy to go out there and especially if you are down and the time is ticking away and the clock is what against you, is against you. Mm. It's hard to find, you know, sometimes that little bit of extra gear. But man, like if you've got that green and gold jersey on, like that should be enough of a reason to be like we're not walking out of here without winning and sometimes when i watch those performances i go that was that really 110 yeah. percent? because if that was 110 percent, then fuck that is who that's that's a hard to watch 110 yeah. percent. yeah I and of course it, the players will never say like we didn't yeah. give out yeah. all but you watch it and you're like i don't mm. know i don't know i guess maybe they might <laughs> at those dying stages they might start like some of those players probably do get a little bit of flashback to to those you know, previous games where they have mm. lost at the dying stages and the play gets inside their heads mm. and they go, fuck, can we actually, you know, keep this up and win this game or can we come back and win this game? Because and with all the footy that you've played, you would have had those dying stages games as well and you've also uh, been lucky enough to strap on the green and gold jersey as well for mm. um, the Australian Army and um, for the ADF rather. Yeah. Um, so... You just recently got back from the World Cup yourself too, yeah. over in France. How was yeah. that? Uh, that was unreal. That yeah. was a wicked experience. So yeah. just uh, being over in such a beautiful country was just something else. And then mm. also getting to you know play footy, you know, as part of your work um, was was neck level. So mm. um, yeah, playing against you know other militaries was really cool. Mm. Um, like this, what was the hardest team? Uh, uh, the hardest team we versed was Georgia like they were just their set piece and just the size of them was you know was unreal they were so dominant in those set pieces Um, especially their scrum they just um, yeah if we were inside their half they had a scrum they just they'd shove us over and they'd go to line go to their line out and then they'd just go to their mall and then they'd just yeah they'd just beat us from that Um, France was pretty good uh, they they'd been training the entire year for mm-hmm. that, and they ended up winning. You know, surprise, surprise. Yeah, but <laughs> home country win too yeah, would have been nice. Bit, yes. But there was a little bit of uh, there was a bit of controversy around the uh, around the win, and with you guys in going through to the different stages of the finals and things like that. Tell us and everybody at home because I watched it I actually the first time that I heard about it was from Mm. your missus who is also (laughs) a friend of mine and a friend of my partner's and I saw her post and then I watched as the the night went on Mm. just all of the it all just blowing up and so what ended up happening with that and we'll tell everyone what happened first so competition's rules state that you know, the three best teams go through to the top four. Uh, so there are only three pools. So three best teams, top four. And then the fourth team that goes through, um, they have whoever has the best run against, they go through. Um, and so, which is what we had. And then, uh, but the Kiwis had more competition points than us. Um, but the competition points were only for ranking where you are in those in those pools mm-hmm. and so um so the kiwis the kiwis you know they didn't they said oh we didn't know about those rules um they weren't told to us pre whatever but everyone 
we was told those rules yep. before the competition started. Um, so the the Kiwis they put in they put in they filed three um, petitions to change those rules. The first two were denied, and then literally a day day or two before we were supposed to play um, France in mm-hmm. the the semi final, uh, they call up our uh, commanding officer um, and said, "Look, uh, I know you you guys are coming to meet us for um, you know for a meeting or whatever about the rules." Um, but they called them up before that and said, um, yep, we're changing the rules. Kiwis are going through the top four. So, um, so yeah, our commanding officer gets to the, you know, the conference meeting and, and tries to, you know, obviously, you know, Play get the us, case kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Tries to get us through, like tries to, you know, argue, you know, what the fuck's going on? Mm. You know, this is bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And fucking throws the throws the rule book at the French people and says, "Fuck you! What's this good for?" And um, yeah, so New Zealand go through the top four. We we go down to six because yep. Georgia had more points than us as well, mm-hmm. but a worse for and against too. So we ended up playing for fifth and sixth, and yep. we ended up losing to Georgia. So really, I think we could have beaten New Zealand hundred percent. Yep, um, and I think the French knew that they probably would have gotten an easier game against the Kiwis. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, the French, I think, took that and goes, oh, you know what, this would be a you know, great opportunity for us to get to, to the final game without having a hard game or as hard of a game. Yeah. Um, but when it comes down to it, I think Georgia really should have gone through because they fucking, they flogged us mm. in our final game. Yeah. Um, very close in the first half, second half, different story, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I truly believe, you know, the Georgia team would have absolutely given it to the Kiwis as well. So what was the, because obviously as soon as there's any, and there's always controversy in rugby, always, mm. what was the, what was the feeling then going into that fifth and sixth place game? Because sometimes when you're like, you know, if you're, if you're playing for those bottom you know, like yeah. places and whatever. It's very easy to fall off and mm-hmm. just be like, fuck, who cares? Like, yeah. what was the feeling around the boys um, yeah. and, like, the coaching staff and stuff? Well, before we played Georgia, we played Ireland to go through that, go through to that um, mm-hmm. fifth and sixth spot um, grand final, as you'd say. Um, we just wanted to, you know, prove to ourselves um, that we, we deserve to be in that top four and mm-hmm. against that Irish team. Um, we put a good number on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we um, so going through to that fifth and sixth spot. We, you know, the feeling was there, but we also we're kind of getting over it. Yeah, but disheartened um, for sure. Yeah. fucking nice. Yeah, yeah, like we were just all of us were getting over. You know, listening to French people talk and mm. just you know being away from home. You know. Not hearing that Aussie slang, yeah, <laughs> and also just that the, Aussie draw, that yeah. super uh, lazy fucking speech, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then like, uh, you know, obviously the the public, um, they knew all about it as well. Like, mm. surprisingly, for a, a military competition, it was it was incredibly popular over there. Like, we got so many people come and watch and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So when we were around where we were in Denard. Um, you know, the French would come up to us and be like, oh, you know, suck shit kind of thing. Not really suck shit, but, 
you know, they suck shit, suck <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they'd, they'd come up and try and talk to us about it, and yeah, you know, yeah, it's it's pretty disheartening and mm. it, it sucks, but you know, it was an unreal experience, and um, if anyone were was uh, you know try and do it, um, fucking you know, give it your all because, mm. you know, it's so worth it. Mm. And, like, that goes to show, and I guess kind of, like, case in point to what we were talking about before with the passion in the in the jersey, mm. like, that's fifth and sixth in a military competition which obviously is bulk testosterone anyway being military. <laughs> yeah. um, but, like, and that's why I always just, I always struggle to watch the Wallabies and when they just down and out and it just and it looks like they're fucking down and out the yeah. the body language is there and that's one thing that if you play footy and you're down a try two tries whatever it is it's your body language that gives the opposition that mm. that you know either you're on top or they're on top yeah. based on how your shoulders are if you're over on your haunches taking those sucking those deep breaths mm. in like you you hide that shit if you're if you're down and if you're up, then obviously you just got to try and stay focused and, you know, not try and play too dumb shit footy, which <laughs> happens all the time. Yeah. Um, so the, the the Rugby World Cup um, for, like, for the military guys, um, that's all wrapped up now. You're obviously back here in Oz. It's not the first time you've gone to France, though, um, no. for ADF Rugby. You went for Sevens as well. Yeah, yeah. the Sevens Comp was uh it was in a small little country town of Asian. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a uh, it was it was only we were only there for about six days unfortunately, mm. so we only just played there for the weekend. Um, that was that was bloody unreal that mm. one. Um, that you know a lot of that was a yeah like a a college university town kind of thing. So there was a lot of young people around and. Um, and so we, we got a fair few, you know, fair few people out at, at the games and, and, um, you know, obviously being there just for the weekend and being Australian, you, you want to get out and, and party a little bit. So you mean Aussies love drinking? <laughs> Who'd have thought? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yep. uh, we, we had a really good first day of, um, of the tournament, um, you know, beaten, I forget, we played like Netherlands, Georgia, and some other team. We we smacked them up, and so um, as a team, we wanted to go out and you know have a nice quiet one. But we saw the coach play sinking a few, so we thought, why not sink Follow a few? Follow suit, a hundred percent. What time was the game that and day? And the game just so happened to be at ten thirty. Oh, that's <laughs> that's a hard game. Yeah, and it was against the the French, and let's say they were. They were freakishly good. Yeah. And they... Even more dominant. Fucked us up. Yeah. (laughs) But you took hold of those French beers and made them your bitch, though. Yeah, exactly. You know, sometimes you've got to take the wins with the losses. Exactly. I I think that's a win for us. Absolutely. So the sevens and fifteens is obviously like, you know, especially travelling, like overseas, travelling for rugby is sick. doesn't matter Mm. if it's international or national. We've gotten to go away together playing footy for for Army. Um, And that's against, uh, we played Navy and the Air Force as well. How do you find those games compared to that, kind of I guess in that way the world stage um you know and as well as because obviously the ADF team obviously being the Australian Defence Force is made up of dudes from mm. Army Navy and Air Force 
Whereas that, um, the what's the name of that competition where it is Army Navy versus like you know all together? The, I think it's just the ADF Rugby Championships. I think. Okay. It's so that's obviously you know Army, just Army dudes. Doesn't matter what. Um, you know, kind of job role you are in the army versus the navy guys and yeah. the rough guys. So, what do you think is the what's the difference between there? Obviously, they're picking the best of the best. Mm. Um, but then you compare that to the world stage. What's the difference? Uh, I guess. So, like, is it? It's a bit of a like. Actually, no. It is a. It is a lot, a lot bigger of a step up kind mm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like those other nations are, you know. Very, you know, very talented. You know, they're they're massive. Like, like those teams are huge mm. compared. Like, compared to us, they're a lot bigger. Yeah. Um. We we had a you know quite a mobile pack and stuff like that, and like we're fit, you know, and stuff. But we we don't have the I guess the strength to you know beat those nations in in the in the forwards so mm. in the scrums and stuff like that um so i guess from us playing like three game or two games for army against navy and air force just isn't enough to then progress to the you know to the world stage to for the big us stage, yeah. um i guess and then i guess for us it's like getting released from our jobs mm. to go and do these things is such a pain. Mm. Extremely pain. hard, yeah. almost nearing impossible yeah. sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Which is so funny because they love the clout that comes with it, mm-hmm. but they won't let the boys go to go and represent it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, there's there's always some reasoning behind why certain players can't get released because mm. of bloody stupid field or, mm. you know, some promotion courses or whatever that, mm. you know, that are on yearly and you can't fucking do some other time, apparently. Mm. Uh, so, like, like, you know, unfortunately, we didn't have Pi come along with us because he had a promotion course and, yeah. and he, he would have been huge for us. Um, Such an asset, Pi. Yeah. yeah. Just. And he's just... Not just on the footy field, just around the... Oh, around the change rooms. He's, he's so funny, man. He's the funniest guy ever. So funny. But uh, but no, I think... But a huge difference is, like, you, you put on that that army jersey, I think, like, like you just become such a, a, a beast, you know? Mm. Like, everyone's a beast on that field when you put the army jersey on because I don't know why. It's just, you know, there's so much passion there. And mm. I, I felt... I felt really proud and stuff to to play for you know the ADF and stuff like that and um, and captaining both teams was a huge ball co-captaining with Shawnee Cole in yep. the ADF and then captaining um, Army like it's a huge privilege and stuff but I just feel like you know when you're Army you all you all went through the same shit mm. you know you all do the same you know, like you all go out field you all do the you know the dirty job and stuff like that and then you come together in a footy field and you get so close together yeah um there's just nothing else like it mm. and then you, you do come into the adf environment and you do have guys from navy and air force and stuff and they've got different different experiences with the defense force and you know it's just the feeling's not the same like we did come you know really tight together and stuff like that we did have a good team cohesion and, um but it's just yeah it's just 
Yes, yeah, it's, it's not army. It's not. Yeah, yeah. army passion is hard to beat. Yeah, that's for sure. So speaking of of army, um, you you enlisted when twenty nineteen. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. So what was what was your experience for? Like, what made you want to do that? Because of like we're the same age. Where mm. I don't want to disclose that to anybody because we're getting up there. <laughs> twenty nine. <Now>, twenty nine. <laughs> <clears throat> but like I know for me, because we would we joined basically the same time, a couple of months in between difference. What made you want to do it um, at that later stage in life? Because yep. it's a especially like as infantry, like as we are, mm. it's a it's a hard job. Mm. Like it's not a desk job. What made you want to do it? Well, I did I did try and join earlier. Mm-hmm. In, I think 22, 23 years old. But uh, I had, you know, ruptured my ACL and, and tore my meniscus. Mm-hmm. So that set me back um, a few years. Yep. And then obviously, well, not obviously, um, I was just trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do and could not quite, you know, put my finger on it. So mm-hmm. um, I thought, you know, I, I uh, playing for East's um, sevens team. Like we had a lot to do with um, the ADF sevens team because mm-hmm. um, the you know the two coaches they were brothers and one was East coach, one was the ADF sevens coach. So we linked together and I got to know Joshy Gray, um, Sean O'Bree, Shaka and Simi and Pine and yep. stuff like that. And so like got talking to them. and they're like, yeah, bro. Like, this is pretty sick. Getting to, you know, it's pretty much essentially our job for you know the next X amount of weeks. And they it's a pretty it like it is a definitely uh, it's one of those cool parts of the job that they don't they don't talk about when you're doing your recruitment no. stuff and whatever. Which I think they should. Like, yeah. um, infantry stuff is super hard. You cannot get around that. Um, but some of the other things, and you don't have to be a grunt to get to play footy, just letting everyone know. You can do other jobs that don't ruin your body as quickly. Um, but it's one thing like that for dudes like you, dudes like myself, that like I've always loved footy, you've always loved footy. And to find out that you can get that as a part of your job, like fuck, why would you not want to tell people about it? You know, like, but then it does come back down to what we were talking about before with getting released. So, basically, getting released for anyone that doesn't know what that is is you have to. It's like seeking approval, really, from uh, your job, even though this is within your job technically, to not have to go and do whatever it is that your unit is doing at that time instead of get released to be able to go and play footy, which can be quite hard um, unless you know the right person. So it's not what you know, it's who you know. Um, but, yeah, lots of dudes missed out on heaps of opportunities. Um, so do you think that the overall satisfaction outside of rugby, rugby for your job and my job like as infantrymen it's obviously changed a lot over the years because we're obviously it's not wartime at the moment and things like that. What do you think that is one of the things that we do the most of? Like, how do you feel? Do you, do you think that you are doing what it is that you signed up for? Do you think that you're enjoying it? Or is it like a bit more of like a drag? Is it like... like most of the time it's a bit of a dick drag. You're just mm. you're sitting around waiting um, you, you, you try and go and do something, but, you know, you get in trouble for fucking going and doing that because, you know, that's not what you're supposed to do or whatever. 
Um, but then you can't do what you're employed to do either because yeah. there's so so much red tape around it. Yeah. That you just and like it's it's a hard thing, hey. Like I mean, because I'm very and I'm sure you are as well. Like I'm very proud of my military career and putting my hand up and being out and you know yeah. saying that I did it, mm. um, and you know and still doing it, but. It definitely has like those days where you're just like, what's the fucking point of this? Yeah. And obviously as grunts especially, because like if we're not doing our job, mm. then the world is fine. You know, yeah. like there's nothing going on, which is good. Yeah. Um, but you do stand around with your fucking dick in your hand, your phone in the other, <laughs> looking at it going like, fuck, how am I going to make my own fun today? <laughs> Mug up to the toilet. Yeah, I to have a quick little five-minute break to myself. I've, I've earned it. Yeah, bro. Man. So, like, because uh, in one of my, like, in one of the other podcasts that I did, I was talking about, um, like, what success looks like to different people. Mm. Um, and... You know, some people it's like, you know, finance and it's, you know, like climbing the ladder, the corporate ladder, getting to yeah. the top, being the the manager or the boss and whatever. Mm. So for you, like where where's your where's your career taking you? Where's your life taking you now? Like what do you what yeah. do you want to do? Who's like what's Luco wanna do now? <laughs> uh well I wanna I do wanna get out of the army. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, getting out is, you know, a difficult, you know, transition and stuff like that. So um, getting out through the, you know, the medical discharge way, I think, is definitely the the best way to do it because, yeah. you know, you're getting out, but you're also getting something back, mm. you know, and I feel like getting something back for those four years or five years, whatever, how long it takes for me to get out, you know, you know you're getting something back, you, you feel good about that. Yeah. And so... What I want to do after is, you know, I guess I want to, I do want to go study. For me, success is probably, you know, finding one, you know, finding someone to, to grow old with, which is what I, you know, recently found and yep. got down on one knee. Hell and, yeah. And rugby didn't, wasn't the only thing that was successful in France. Yeah, huh? exactly. Got yeah. the knee dirty, Got the mate. knee. Yeah, got it dirty in France. So, yep. Um, so that's pretty cool and mm. yeah so going on with you know success I guess you know starting a life with you know Megan and um, you know having a family family is you know what I think success is yeah so um, yeah you know giving them you know providing them with you know better opportunities with a you know good life um, you know a comfortable life you know something that you know we struggled growing up kind of thing mm-hmm. um but yeah why like what was what was like what was life like life, yeah. uh, life like for trent and i um trent's obviously your brother yep yep yeah uh, i guess moving from new zealand uh you know you know establishing ourselves trying to get ourselves all set up and Stuff like that was, you know, tricky bouncing from, you know, you know uh, house to house, you know, parents going from job to job or whatever. Mm-hmm. It is um, it's a bit tricky, but um, parents, obviously, they split up uh, when I was nine mm-hmm. and Trent was 14. That was, um, you know, pretty tough. Mm-hmm. I My brother took it pretty hard, but me being me, I, I, uh, 
I thought I took it as an opportunity to have, you know, two Christmases, two birthdays yeah. and, you know, getting a break from, you know, your mum for a weekend or whatever is, yeah. you know, it's pretty cool. And then you just find yourself, um, you know, I, I found myself making like special bonds with, you know, both parents because, yeah. you know, they're not together all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also difficult because, you know, you obviously you, you saw your mates and they had their, both their parents together and stuff like that. And, um, and so essentially my mum kind of had to start from, you know, from the ground up. Mm-hmm. She, she pretty much was a stay-at-home mum until they split up kind of yep. thing. So watching her um, struggle with a part-time job, um, so she also studied at the time, started studying at the time and then yep. had two, you know, two grown lads. Um, you know, Trent, Trent was a bit of a, you know, wildfire, you know, he just did not give a fuck. Yeah. Um, and then myself, like we'd always used to butt heads and Trent always used to steal all the food and I used to fucking get pretty upset about that because <laughs> he was so much bigger than me and yep. yeah, it kind of sucked. But, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, just watching that was you know pretty tough, and mm-hmm. and then um, when I when I was when we when I was fifteen, my dad passed away mm-hmm. um, due to bowel cancer, and that yep. that really sucked. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's all, it, you know it grows a bit of strength in you, a bit of resilience in you. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was yeah, uh, and that, that was the best year of my footy was when I was fifteen, and I just put it all into it and. Um, but I was, you know, bigger than most of those kids when I was 15. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but anyway, um, yeah, from then it was, you know, it was really tough for my brother. You know, I, you know being being younger than him, you, you think he'd pick up the reins of, you know, dad or, or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, He kind of, he kind of didn't. He kind of, you know, went down a different path and of, you know, drugs and you know just partying all the time um just being a little shithead yeah really like i had to i had to kind of pick it up and Mm -hmm. you know whenever he fucked up i had to you know get him in the line and yell at him and that was pretty you know pretty shit for me to do that because i was just trying to concentrate on school footy Mm. and stuff like that and then you know my mum had no control over and and you know it's pretty upsetting for her to see me have to well, us, um, you know, argue and fight and mm. kind of like that. But, um, but now, coming to now, you know, you know, been a long road, but it's it's pretty good. Trent lives over in Perth, bloody working the mines and mm-hmm. doing pretty well for himself over there. Well, now he is. Yeah. Um, and and my mum's up in Bundy. You know, she she's got um. She's got a partner, an old boyfriend from back in the day came and found her from New Zealand and The Rekindle. Yeah, the Rekindle, yeah. Yep. And so and so they own a house up there and they're mm-hmm. doing pretty good. Yeah. Mm. And so that kind of then ties back into what you were saying before for success for you was is your own family and that mm. now being with Megan, which you've been you've been with Megan for you know, how how many years you've been with Megan now? Almost Oh, yeah, pretty much six years now, I'm Shit, pretty sure. she would have been itching, mate, for that <laughs> ring, huh? Yeah, well, she had fucking no idea, which yeah. is the best part of it yeah. all. Yeah. yeah, I know she had no idea as well because she said it. I was with her. Yeah. You'd just left and I saw her, I think, maybe the day after you left for France. Mm. And uh, I was out with with her and my miso and we were... Well, 
Emily was saying, you know, oh, do you think Luke's going to propose? And she's like, no fucking way. <laughs> and I knew that you were going to fucking yeah. propose. So I knew yeah. everything and it was great. Um, so like to, to then continue on with like, with that, do you find that now with you trying to figure out what do you want to do next, whether like what you want to study and where you want to go, mm. do you think that that's, do you kind of pull back on those past experiences to go, what I'm going through right now is not as hard as what that was. Yeah. Um, and so this next decision I'm going to make for myself is a lot easier than some of the decisions I had to make back then. Or do you think that it all kind of ties in all the shit things you're going yeah. through life all fucking help you at some point, even if they're shit at the time? Yeah, definitely. You can definitely pull back on those you know, past experiences and go, you know, this isn't, this ain't so bad. And I've, caught, I've kind of caught myself sometimes going, oh, maybe I should just stick it out with the army and, you know, it's not that bad, blah, blah, blah. But, but no, I definitely want to, you know, move on to my, to the next stage of my life. And I guess just, you know, find out, figure out what it is that I want. And it's, it's tough because, you know, you're leaving such a, you know, stable life behind with the army. And so, mm. you know, it's quite nerve-wracking and, and you don't want to take that jump and stuff like that. But then, yeah, I guess you do look back at those, you know, those early days where you were struggling and stuff like that to, mm. you know, then you go, no, fuck it. You know, why not? I can do this. Um, I've been through much harder stuff. So mm. definitely making that jump to really try and get out of your, your little bubble your comfort zone um yeah i can yeah you definitely just gotta do it fucking oath man and i think like it's that's hard as well for and like i can only talk about the experiences and you as well for like as a man and sometimes not figuring it out and mm. knowing where the fuck you're going and what you're doing yeah where you're going to fucking live, what you're going to, how you're going to bring money home, mm. all of those things. And when you don't have it figured out or when you do and then something changes and you've got to f figure it out again yeah, and you feel like you should have it all together, it's hard to mm. wrap your head around it. And it's hard to put yourself into the mind frame of fucking go again, like yeah. do it again, wake up tomorrow, figure it out again, you know, mm. like and... And especially you learn a lot of that mental resilience within the military, but also like life experience, like what we were just talking about, like mm. that mental resilience and the resistance that you have to push through is like people don't give themselves enough credit for how strong they are actually able to like, and how, how well they can actually get through things. Yeah. Um, and like, that's one of the things that I'm, finding at the moment is that it's all right to not have it all fucking figured out at the mm. minute you know mm. like it's okay i know that like from my upbringing like my dad had the same fucking job forever mm. you know like he worked in that until i was you know like 15 or something like that and then he decided to to go and do something else but he had worked in that at that job for 25 plus years that's a long fucking time. I don't, I've never worked in a job that long. One, yeah. I'm not old enough to be able to have done that. But two, like I, I literally, I don't think that I have found something that I like that much. Yeah. You know, like mm. something that I can literally wake up every day and go, 
fuck yeah. yes. Yeah. Like, I'm so glad that I get to do this again. And at the beginning of my military career, I felt that. Yeah. Like, Same. especially when you're going through, like, um, initial training, like mm. at Singleton School of Cool, at the School of <laughs> Infantry. Like, man, you are just so green and you are just so, like, mm. just test through the fucking roof and you're like, fuck yeah, let's get up and get after it. Yeah. And then, you know, like, just like any job, it kind of the reality of it sits in of what it's really like. Mm. And I just found myself getting so just like disappointed with it because you put in so much effort and so much, so many hard yards to then just kind of sit around on your ass all the time and just be like, what the fuck's the point of this? Exactly. Yeah. So you're going to like when you, when you're out and you're saying that you want to study, what are you going to, what are you going to take into like the child services world that's going to be different to somebody else, do you reckon? I guess like. Or it doesn't have to be child, so whatever it is yeah. that you're going to do, you know, like... Well, I mean, I guess I can just, you know, I can bring in, like, those past times and take that into, you know, child services because I, I am quite passionate about, you know, trying to keep, you know, keep kids safe, keep families safe and stuff like that. Like, because, you know, growing up, you, you know, I didn't have that, you know, that stability of family and stuff like that. Yeah. And you, you want that for other people. Mm. And so I guess, you know, the child safety thing, you want to just protect those type of people from, you know, horrible, you know, parents and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but, yeah, and, like, my mum always, you know, you know, she used to tell some stories about how horrible these parents were and stuff like that. And so that, you know, that kind of fires you up, stirs that fire in your belly mm. and wants you, you know, to go do it. Mm. Fucking nice. And finding, like, that passion, that's all you need, eh? Mm. Like, for whatever it is that you're doing, whether or not it's going to be something that you do forever or it's something that you're going to do for a short amount of time. Yeah. Passion is just, it's the fuel for the fire, eh? Yeah. you got to love it. If mm. you don't love it, then you, I think you really need to, like, yeah. reevaluate what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it. And sometimes having that reevaluation can reignite the fire for the same thing that you're doing. Mm. And then you know, you can go again and just be like, all right, sweet. I've recharged my fucking mental batteries towards this that I already do. Yeah. Um, But sometimes it's enough to just be like, nah, I need to do something else. I need to Mm. put the energy that I do have into something that I love. Do you find that um, like making that mental shift from being like in the military to back to like civilian world, do you think that you'll find the transition hard or do you think you'll find it pretty easy to kind of slot back into the realities of normal life, I suppose? I think it'll be a bit of both, really. Like, you know, not being around, you know, just being around like the the guys, like the boys, you Mm. know, you'll have, you you know, some of them you would have gone through you know, IITs are like Kapuka together and IITs together and stuff like that. You, you, you build this, you know, pretty good bond and stuff mm. like that. And then, um, and then, and then you got field together and stuff and it's just you guys and you just, you know, live in the shit in a hole shit together yeah. and you're just doing the grind together and stuff mm. like that. You, you, you do fuse a pretty good bond. I think that's going to be the hardest thing is just, you know, not having that day to day. That brotherhood. Eh? Yeah, yeah. That brotherhood and, I guess, yeah, and then, and then you, 
you also make those those really good friends through army and ADF rugby and stuff like that. And I, I guess just kicking it straight back. Yeah. Um. So I think that's going to be the hardest thing, hardest transition. But I think it'd be also be easy because it's just you'd be excited for a new beginning. Um. So excited for a new challenge because you you're literally starting from the ground up again. And I saw I saw my mum do that when she separated from my dad, and you know I, I I look back at that and I go fuck, you know she was she was forty 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 something years old when she did that, mm. and so I'm like, and I'm only twenty nine now, so I'm just like, well fuck, I can do that shit, yeah, like, you know, hundred percent. And to, so many people, yeah. man, are just so scared to do that, eh? Yeah. They're so scared because they've been stuck in a job, which I find so wild that you can feel that trapped by a job that mm. you can't do anything else like you'll never be able it's like well how the fuck did you start that job you took a leap yeah and you went i want to try this you can do it again mm. like it's not hard like, i have been like the fucking the definition of jack of all trades master of none you know like just floating between <laughs> shit because like it wasn't because like i've got a, a shit work ethic like mm. when i do something i f- fucking put 110 percent effort in but after a little while, I go, well, hang on a second. Can I really, can I put 110% effort into this forever? Yeah. Or how long is forever? Is mm-hmm. it like, is it five years or is it 50 years? Because you get some dudes, like I know that my brother-in-law's dad is a builder and he's been a builder forever and still fucking loves that shit. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how, but he does. And, yeah. you know, like, and so many people are afraid to take that leap out and just try and go, well... I don't like this anymore. I did for yeah. a little while. So now I'm going to try and go and thrive in something else. Yeah. And they just get stuck. And then they complain about it. Mm. And they complain that they're stuck in the yeah. same fucking spot or the same town, yeah. same job, same relationship, whatever. Mm. And they just complain about it. And you go, have you done anything to try and change it? <laughs> Why do you think yeah. that like so many like dudes feel like that because we can only talk about men i don't know how chicks feel yeah you know they won't tell me for one mm. um you know like <laughs> but what, like yeah. what do you think like why why well, do you think dudes struggle so much with shit at the moment well personally like myself last year i struggled with that mm. you know with your whole identity kind of thing and like i was just so incredibly disappointed with you know the choice i made to join the army last year i was just like you know yeah, fuck this shit. Like, yeah, you know, I don't want to sit in a fucking hole for hours and do fucking nothing. I don't want to, you know, mm. sit around and wait for someone to fucking tell me to do something. And I don't want to be back here in barracks and you know do some shitty PT in the morning and then fucking you know sit on the couches until bloody knock off. You know, and you, like I guess, I guess that that fucking you know that 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 sucks and mm. you know. Uh, messes with someone's head big time because mm. like you go from you know you know this is when you start out this is such a cool thing like you know you you know you, you built yourself up for it and you, you wanted to do it for so long and then you do get there you, you go through your training and training so much fun well it can be so much fun mm. and you know it's it's hard work and then you do get to these you know these units and establishments and the, the feeling just goes away. You, you see, you know, these, these older guys and they're just, they're busted up. They're, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're real salty. They fucking... Super jaded, just, just off it, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And 
and like from my personal experience last year i i i did get quite sad and mm. then i then re, rejuvenated myself going oh you know what i got i got friends coming up as in last year and then i got friends coming up this year and that really sparked me to you know get up and get going again mm. and so i think for men it's just it's it's not it's, it's, you can't just bloody sit down and feel sorry for yourself you you do really need to get up and, and do something just try a bunch of fucking different things mm. whether, like whether it's sport painting music fucking, yep. or just different kinds of jobs just to really find yourself and what you really like mm. so yeah i think i think the biggest problem for men is we get sad and we just stop yeah you know fucking oath man yeah. And that's what I, and especially within within Army Land, because there is so much stop, mm, like there's yeah. so much hurry up and wait, and yeah, you just so for, so in your head, yeah, mm. and you just like you do, you get that that feeling that all men, you need something to drive you, you need a, a goal at the end, something yeah. that's steering your ship, mm. like you need to have a goal, you need to have a purpose of why you fucking wake up in the morning, yeah, and you can find that that disappears for some reason like and it mm. can just be one day you wake up and you go what's the fucking point yeah and like i'm like i'm the same i've struggled with that um and like i got diagnosed with major depression and anxiety this year after i had mm. a, my accident at work with uh losing my eyesight and yeah. like man like, it's fucking hard mm. like and anybody that um just says that you know it's not a it's not a real thing like they they obviously haven't actually been like proper depressed yeah. you know what i mean like because there's a difference and i was saying that before like depression and anxiety is something that gets band-aided over people who are just you know like having a shit day yeah. you know like and that's fine but having mm. a shit day all the time and to the point where you can't find a reason to be doing anything anymore like that's when you're starting to t like you know put put your toe into the waters of you know like something might be going on here yeah. with you and you need to start to figure it out mm -hmm. and you said it before like going and seeking help is what you need to fucking do yeah, and sure. that can it doesn't need to necessarily be um a professional. Yeah, yeah. you know, because sometimes seeing a professional can make you feel like you're a fucking loony. Oh, 100%. You know, yeah. like when I had to go to a psychiatrist mm. and talk about my problems, I'm glad that I did mm. in hindsight now that I look back on it. But he did. He made me feel like a crazy person because yeah. he said, you know, like, well, you have major depression, you have an adjustment disorder, you mm. have anxiety, and you also have uh, like PTSD. You also have... Uh, major anger issues yeah and i was like fuck no shit like you know <laughs> like you talk to any yeah, of my mates field, <laughs> talk to any of my mates that yeah. would tell you i've seen that a heap of times yeah. but you like you know sitting there and, and talking to a professional that that job is to look at you and judge you you know yeah, like it's, and it's hard it's, that's hard to do yeah, you feel naked very vulnerable when super you are vulnerable and yeah that's what as fellas we don't really like that feeling no. vulnerable you want to feel even if you don't you want to feel like you've got it all together i don't need help like mm. i'll or i'll sort it out yeah and you just put it on ice for a little while yeah. and you just fucking wake up and go into autopilot mode yeah um but man like when i came to that I guess that crossroads where you just you're sitting there and you're looking at yourself and you're looking at your life and you're like 
like, what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. You know, and I'm not talking about, like, a career choice or anything. I'm talking about, like, how I felt. Like, you know, mm. like, I was tiptoeing on the fucking, the edges of blowing my fucking head off. Yeah. And because I was just so sad. Mm. I was just so angry about everything that had happened to me. Yeah. And, like, I was just like, what's the fucking point? Like, if I blew my fucking head off right now, mm. my problems go away. Yeah. And then that at that crossroads, I'm looking at that, which w- w- felt like the easiest route, which was straight in front of me at a fucking mm. 100 miles an hour, I'm going that way. But then you take a quick glance to your left and your right and you see your mates and you see your family yeah. and you see... And you don't even need to... It doesn't need to be friends or family because some people don't have that. Some people no. don't have a close-knit group around them or anybody and they, you know, they feel super alone because they are. And you just got to look that left and right and just see, well, actually, but I really love doing this mm. or I really love doing that. And that shit is enough. That's yeah. enough. Grab that shit. Don't look in front. Of, like, don't look at that 100 mile an hour sign of, you know, just end it all. Mm. Like, because that is permanent solution, temporary problem. Because yeah. now, like I look eight months on from when my accident happened, and like, fuck, I'm so glad that I didn't pull that trigger, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Like, because now, do I have it figured out? No. no. Fuck no. no. Like, so far away from it. But I'm another day closer to figuring it out, you know? Yeah, yeah but yeah. you're doing so many, you know, cool things like, you know, your little podcast. And yeah. Then you also, you got your... Yeah, your clothing line that you're starting up. And yeah, stuff Paz like Apparel. Because, Still yeah. waiting for that shit to fucking get here. <laughs> oh my lord! I now know what small business owners struggle with when yeah. they're trying to get their fucking produce. So if you're yeah. a small business owner or you've gone in there and you've been annoyed that they don't have stock, please give them a rest. <laughs> please give them a break. Yeah, uh, but yeah, man, like you know, it just it kind of comes down to like what we've been talking really like this whole this whole yarn is. You just find you just find purpose again in a different day mm. and in something else to just keep you fucking driving forward, eh? Yeah. Like even just the littlest things, eh, mm, man. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's <laughs> extremely fucking difficult too sometimes. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes you just feel like you're fucking spinning your wheels, eh? Like you don't feel like you're going anywhere, you're not making any fucking progress. And then yeah. before you know it, Six months has gone by and you look at yourself and you're just like, well, I'm so much fucking better off than I was six months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just got to reach out to somebody, but also like reach into those fucking dark moments that you've had in your life previously yeah. and compare the pair, you know yeah. what I mean? Like get the meerkats out and compare the pair, mm-hmm. you know, that fucking insurance ad. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but that's what you got to do, eh? Like you can compare yeah. some of the things that you've gone through to things that are happening right now yeah. and go, this isn't that hard compared mm. to that. Or it is, but yeah. I know how to do it. But yeah, yeah. You, know, yeah, you know how to get through it, you know how to cope with it exactly mm-hmm. right, mate. Yeah. yeah. And like if you're, if you're somebody that's like listening to it at the, like this at the moment and you're struggling, like just call your mate mm. and just tell them that you're not doing all right. Yeah. There's absolutely fucking no shame in it at all. No. Um, and like we're two blokey blokes as well, both in the military, both play footy, mm. both love a beer, but your life's fucking worth it, eh? Like, and, mate. yeah. And yeah, it's it's wild to think that 
life takes you on so many fucking bends and turns and mm. some really easy roads and some yeah. really fucking hard roads as well. Yeah. So what's uh, what's next on the horizon for Luke Everson? Wedding planning, <laughs> things like <laughs> Probably, that? Yeah, bro. So just the engagement party, I think, mm-hmm. is the, the next thing on the agenda. We're just trying to... You know, sort out the whole financial shit for that because yeah. it's fucking expensive. Yeah. Um, nah, yeah. Just wedding really is what I'm bloody looking forward to. You know? Just yeah. tying the knot, really kickstarting your life. And, mm. um, yeah, just hopefully start a family, I think. We're looking for, looking to do that around May next year, I believe, sometimes after your guys' weddings because yep. Megan doesn't want to be all... Big and fat, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think just gotta you know take everything with a grain of salt and um, just I guess test test every sort of you know water that comes your way. Don't you know burn any bridges? Don't mm. you know close off any doors? And um, yeah, look at the yeah look at the bright side of life, which is you know yeah fucking earth and the big picture yeah. stuff, eh? Yeah, which and the is, big yeah. picture can be. Well away, yeah. Still achievable, and you'll get yeah, there. Exactly. Well, my man, we've been going for like an hour and a half now. She, shit, man. It's easy talking <laughs> when you're talking about shit that you like. Exactly, bro. Fuck yeah. Well, thanks, mate. I appreciate no. this chat, eh? No, thank you for having me on. Fuck it's yeah, bro. Good. All right. Well, until next time, see you later. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in for another episode of Thriving in Chaos. This is just a reminder that if you ever feel like life is starting to get the better of you and that your mental health maybe isn't doing so well. You're not alone, and there's so many people that care about you, and they want the absolute best for you. There's so many places that you can reach out to, places like Lifeline, Beyond Blue, Black Dog Institute, and Open Arms, just to name a few. They're only a phone call away, and they're ready to listen to you and try and help you out of whatever hole you feel like you might be in. Make sure you reach out to your mates, your family members, or anybody that you think might be having a hard time. So check on your mates, check on your family, and until next time, I'll see you later.